Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you are listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too, but sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter or X at Bastards underscore Boston. I am your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. You can find me on Twitter slash X at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for tonight are Terry Cushman coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Cody Paulson rejoining us back from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody, how are you doing? Where can the fans find you on Twitter slash X? Gentlemen, good to be back. Seems like a few things have happened uh, since I've been gone. A lot of things to talk about for sure. Uh, not an exciting uh, weekend to discuss, but the fans can find me on Twitter slash X at the Cody Paulson. Charlie and Terry, how are you guys doing tonight? Going to be a good time, Terry. Where where can the fans find you on Twitter slash X, and how are things going for you too? I can be found at Cushman MLB and I am just enjoying the post time bloom era <laughs> and uh, you know the team is what it is and we know that and getting to see some of the younger kids play and hearing some names pop up as well maybe we'll get into that next show but uh, on hot takes perhaps but um but yeah good good weekend yeah what's the status with our standings i know you like to give us a little rundown are we sitting yeah so uh let's see i have those up red Sox are in sole possession of last place with a record of 74 and 76 they are two games above 500 if uh, if you believe in miracles, we are eight and a half games out. I don't think technically uh, eliminated yet, but yeah, not good. <laughs> About what yeah. I predicted. I, I said 74 wins. That's what we're at right now. We were talking before the show. Charlie, you picked 78, and I, I have a feeling that's going to be pretty close. We got a White Sox series coming up. So. There's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, and that's at Fenway. I'm really looking forward to everybody holding themselves accountable if they get it wrong, whether you're with us now and not. I expect you to hold yourself accountable because that's what's been said. You hold yourselves accountable. We'll see if that's actually the truth for all parties. But uh, as our show would dictate, we would always begin with duds if we had a poor week. And when you get swept, there's just no way you're going to start with studs. So... Terry, why don't you lead us off? Who is your dud for the series? Oh, the chubby guy is leading off. Uh, did you say stud or dud? Doesn't matter. Dud first because oh. we did not get it done. Okay. Dud. All right. We'll stay true to the format. Um, so my dud for the series is Adam Duvall, who went just one for nine. Pair of strikeouts. I mean, is what it is at this point. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we are so lefty heavy, especially in that outfield. And uh, so just trying to figure out anybody's future is uh, is impossible right now, especially without a uh, executive leading the front office, which we probably won't have for, I'm guessing, at least another month or so. But at this point, I mean... Duvall's hitting 249. You know, it just keeps slipping lower and lower. And I just want to see the kids play. I just want to see the kids play at this point. And I, I don't think Duvall really needs to be in the lineup on, on a nightly basis. He did play two out of the three against Baltimore. But um, so not really a ton to uh i i feel bad piling on at this point but uh he he's my dud for the series yeah uh anything you want to add cody charlie 
Uh, Terry made a great point. You know, these veterans, especially this late in the season, right? Baseball, we, we constantly talk about how long the season is, how much of a grind it is mentally, physically, the whole nine. Um, these guys, you know, lacing them up for what is meaningless games is honestly impressive. And at the same point in time, um, you know, a thought experiment, right? Why are guys doing it? So at this point in time, for guys like, you know, Duvall, it's a little bit of an audition, right? They can, they can prove to next year that, you know, I'm still willing to fight. I'm still willing to grind. I'm still willing to put together good at bats, but you know, it's, it's really hard to see the motivation when, you know, the ownership group has essentially punted on the season and, and given up altogether. So, you know, I don't want to pile on on the guys that aren't getting it done. Uh, I know these, these were competitive games, but you know, you know, we, we snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory twice. Um, we always knew that this was kind of in the chamber for guys like Adam Duvall, right? You know, they could go on streaky bits where they're going to strike out a lot or, you know, not make a lot of contact, but when they are going well, they go great. And we've seen that with Duvall as well. Um, Toronto's got, you know, a much better rotation than we do. And so, you know, we'll keep it moving. Um, let's see, you know, what we got in that farm system, right? Let's see what we got with those, those prospects and players to be developed. Let's try to get, you know, some, some exposure, some looks, uh, some tape on them so that we can, you know, find things to hopefully work with, hint, hint, them in the offseason um, and get better for next year. Uh, he's been a dud basically all September, sadly. This is his first hit since the fourth. So we're talking about almost two weeks without a hit, including a stretch of 0 for 25. I mean, you've watched the batting average sink 25 points. It's not pretty and any expectation of a raise this upcoming off season, I think is starting to kind of whittle away. I think you're going to be able to have Duvall for probably the same amount of money as last year uh, or this year, excuse me, like seven, 8 million, maybe a million dollar bump. But I don't think the Red Sox are going to be dishing out 10 million to a guy that can't hit 250, can't stay on the field and has probably one of the worst streaky numbers in baseball. I'm, I'm kind of out on, on Adam Duvall. Like I know we're super lefty heavy as, as Terry mentioned, but if the price is wrong, I don't want them. And I'm, I'm okay admitting that at this point. Um, yeah. T go ahead. Just a couple of names to consider. I mean, if you're looking for a right-handed bat and you want a bit of an upgrade, uh, Teoscar Hernandez, who, you know, has been a pretty, decent uh, cornerstone player for the Blue Jays previously, the uh, Seattle Mariners presently. Uh, you could you could sign him to a one-year deal to finish that bridge, you know, for some of your younger guys. Perhaps Roman Anthony might be ready by 2025 or maybe halfway through 2025. Another guy you could consider uh, would be more of a reunion, Hunter Renfro. I don't know how much of an upgrade that would be um, over a Duvall-type guy. He's got a cannon for an arm, so you would get that back, obviously. But uh, just something to consider. There were there were some problems with Hunter Renfro when he was here. He was definitely a banger, like he could hit and he could throw. But there were some things, I think, inside the clubhouse that upset other members on the team. And I think that's why you've seen Hunter Renfro basically be Mr. Major League Baseball, where if he could play 30 years, he'd probably be on every team for one year. He doesn't seem to be able to last on a team for more than a year or half a year at this point. So I'm curious to know what you'd get out of him, too, at this point, Hunter Renfro or Duvall it's a toss up. I'd probably take, sadly, I'd probably take Renfro too, but if there are other options on the market, I'd probably be willing to take one of those guys. And truth be told, the money that we're going to have this off season shouldn't be allocated to either one of those guys. It should be allocated towards someone who we're going to be having for the future, which I imagine we're probably going to be talking on uh, one of the next couple of episodes. Uh, Cody, why don't you hit us with your dub? Yeah, my dub for the season, or season, geez, uh, series, uh, much like we were talking about with, with Duval. um, you know, Alex Verdugo, 0 for 10, five strikeouts, one run scored. Um, but, you know, we kind of talked about this before we hopped on the show. I'm not really bothered or discouraged, for that matter, by poor performances on the players. Um, you know, as, as we talked a little bit about with, with Duvall, with the ownership group giving up on the season, what do these guys have left to play for, right? You know, why should they continue to go out there, put their bodies on the line, sacrifice, fight, 
compete, um, you know, when, when even the owners of the team aren't, aren't buying in and aren't believing in them, right? This allegedly was supposed to be, a, you know, a, not necessarily push all the chips in, go for a year, but building on. And it really makes the last couple of years of futility even more frustrating, right? If, if ownership wasn't willing to see out the plan, wasn't willing to, to deal with the, sh- the shed years, uh, deal with the build years, and, you know, kind of be patient, then, you know, we just suffered for three to four or five years, give or take, um, for literally nothing, right? Because, you know, we've long talked about what it was like with Dombrowski, what Dombrowski left Bloom to deal with, what Bloom had to kind of rectify, for lack of better terms. Now, don't get me wrong, there's missteps along the way, but I think we're starting to see a little bit behind the curtain what Bloom really had to deal with, right? You know, they had to publicly pressure the ownership group into spending money on a franchise cornerstone piece, right? And, you know, even with a guy like Verdugo, who wouldn't have been an an expensive extension, made no talks nobody was brought to nothing was brought to the table verdugo was like hey guys i'd love to have an extension here i can play in boston i'm built for it i love the emotion uh core challenged me i raised rose to the challenge i you know raised my level of play and then they're like well, what if we put you on the training block like and then you know we obviously saw what happened with them there this ownership group front office or not has toyed with the players has brought the team into despair in my opinion and disarray and i you know, we're going to now get kind of the ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend extreme, right? You had the wild, fast and loose Dombrowski spending everything, buying everything. Everybody's happy. You got new and shiny toys. We win a World Series. Great. But that's not sustainable. So then what do we do? We go to the ultra conservative in bed by eight. Nobody's getting in trouble. We're not spending money. We're making good trades, but it's not sexy and it's not exciting. So, you know, who's that next executive that we're going to have that's going to do what Dombrowski did with this now you know, repaired, rehealed, trauma-less organization that we've got, right? And we're just going to continue to swing back and forth, back and forth, maybe win a, you know, a title here and there if if the stars align and we get lucky. But, the, I mean, the Red Sox can win zero games the rest of the season. I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be disappointed in the players. I'm going to be mad and I'm going to be disappointed at the ownership group. They always say, oh, you know, we're committed to championships. We're committed to winning. And then that's that's all they say. They make no other comments. They show nothing to us to say why they're committed to winning or how they're committed to winning. They just claim that they're committed to winning, right? We're never going to know the conversations that are going on in the back room, right? We can only look at it from, from the outside. But if you're a GM that has no resources, you know, you have all of these back-laden monster albatross contracts, no money to spend, no free agents to go and get, you're left to try to find things off the bargain pile or, you know, claw and scrap through these, through these garbage trades and hope you find somebody like a Bernardino or, you know, a Whitlock, which, you know, turned out to be the jam or a Schwarber for the half a season, but it's not sustainable. And, you know, we clearly saw that the team wasn't good, wasn't good enough to, to retain, um, the chief baseball officer, right? I mean, Hein Bloom, like him or not, was a bummer to see him go. You never want to see somebody lose their job. Yes, you can blame him for not building a starting rotation, but I think we're starting to see more out of this ownership group unwilling to kind of do what it takes to win and to compete in what should be and most often is the most competitive division year in and year out. And so it's just a real bummer that now we as fans have to endure kind of their indecision or their unwillingness to to be competitive and, you know, having it come out to whatever executive wants to take this job, which, you know, you talk about Boston not being an exciting place to play or, um, you know, a destination spot. Why would an executive want to come and deal with this? Right. I mean, as soon as Bloom was out the door, the smear campaign came out, like he was let go or relieved of his duties. And immediately we started getting stories of, Oh yeah. You know, uh, Turner was on the table. Sale had a, a, a deal in Texas or whatever for prospects to come back, but he couldn't pull the trigger. Like, where was this during the trade deadline? Why did this come out? You know, we have reporters in that locker room that have betrayed Bloom constantly. You don't think, like, if Shaughnessy had this information, he would have just absolutely been tweeting up a storm about how Bloom wasn't getting something done? That guy loves to bury the Red Sox. And yet, the second that he's fired, we start getting all of this information about his additional incompetence. That that to me is just bad behavior. That's not acting in good faith, and and it's been really frustrating to watch the the ownership group kind of 
behave the way that they have. And I know this is really far away from where we were on Verdugo, but um, all these players can mail it in. I'm not going to be mad at them. Let's let's get some auditions on the new guys. Let's get some auditions for the guys trying to play for good contracts. If we need to move players around so that they can have a better future and a fresh start, let's do it. Um, the team is the team. We got the games. We're running out the clock. Uh, Terry, why don't you hit that? That there's a lot to unpack. I know that's Cody's phrase. A lot to unpack here. There's a lot in that in that take, and uh, also anything you want to weigh in with Verdugo as well. Yeah, I mean, it just it was down to the pitching, really. I mean, coming into 2022, there was no luxury tax implications whatsoever, and Bloom went into every winter saying you know we don't have any any constraints we'll make any deal that makes sense and he he even said and I, I never believed it when he said it but he said you know that all of that included players with qualifying offers attached and you know he never pursued them and in 2022 you had Max Scherzer free agent still had a you know a good couple of years in him um you had Kevin Gosman, which is the guy I wanted all along, and it's he the value was great and he's exceeded, you know, his contract in my opinion. Uh five years, hundred and ten million. Uh Robbie Ray, I mean, at the time I would have signed it. He did end up having Tommy John. Um Eduardo Rodriguez, I was open to bringing back. In fact, I wanted him extended before he was even a free agent. Um so, some people would have wanted Marcus Stroman. He's pitched pretty well. I can't stand Stroman, but he would have been viable. Justin Verlander still pitching well. Like there was no, there was no reason not to, um, you know, get one of these guys in 2022. That was the Garrett Richards winter, uh, and then they brought back Martin Perez on, on a one year. But the incoming, the incoming executive. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. He's got no prospects he can call up as far as pitching goes. Um, he's he's gonna have to sign guys off the off the free agent market. Our best pitching prospects are in uh, single A right now in Greenville. So I just I don't know. I it, it's not an unenviable spot to to you know because position player wise we're in really good shape we're in phenomenal shape you're gonna have roman anthony like i said uh kyle teal is already in double a um you've got abreu and duran there's probably gonna be some tough decisions uh on them in the coming weeks and months but um it was just the pitching the pitching failed and let me reiterate this as well i never I never wanted Mookie Betts to be re-signed. I complained about the return on the package. I mean, I think that's, you know, somewhat valid. But um, I'm not a top-of-the-market guy. I am 1,000% out on Shohei Otani. I want no part of him. And I never, I never wanted top prospects to get traded. That was nothing you guys ever heard me say. I just... I was fine with Bloom operating, you know, within the middle of the market. And he just, he always operated on the lower end of the market. And ownership, I mean, according to Carabas, ownership was a little frustrated after the deadline that, that no moves got made. You know, they wanted to, they wanted to add. So I just, I think he could have done better. And, and on the last show, I mean, if Bloom simply made the playoffs in 2022 or 2023, just one of the two years, he keeps his job, I think. And, and it didn't happen. And with Verdugo real quick, I mean, he was a dud, like Cody said, and he misplayed a ball off the side of the outfield wall by the pesky pole for the second series in a row. Um, the dude is just not focused, but we're all boldly assuming he's going to get traded. And what if the incoming executive likes him for some reason? I, I think it's still somewhat likely he gets traded, but I think it's less likely than, you know, a week ago, let's say. 
So to, to address the initial dud, uh, Verdugo has been sadly irrelevant this whole month. I mean, like Duvall, he had one home run to start the month off. And since then, one RBI, a couple of runs scored. He's hitting under 200 for the month of September. He's just, you know, Terry, you hit it on the head there. He's he's not focused. He's not he's not in the zone and he's checked out like a lot of members of this team. And I think, you know, as far as Haim Bloom is concerned, because it's kind of like a, a double point here, Cody, Cody brought it up. Uh, Verdugo clear dud. I mean, just not there disappeared. This, this series disappeared this month. Haim Bloom gone literally did nothing. In four years, yes, he uh, was able to pack on prospects and was able to lower the total spend per year and, you know, minimize the damage in that sense and kind of reset it. But we've upgraded our prospect class a little bit. We've been a last place team almost every year. So Red Sox fans don't get to even see the prospects that we have until the last month of the season. Some of them hit, some of them don't. Here's the thing. You need to trade some prospects to get talent in here. You need to find a hybrid of Bloom and Dave Dombrowski, something in the middle. Unfortunately, I don't really know who the best option would be that's available right now. Bloom leaving Boston is a good thing. Alex Core potentially leaving Boston is a good thing. I don't think Core is leaving now since they got rid of Bloom. I, I distinctly recall saying that I think a lot of us are going to have to be on here for another year of Bloom and Cora and all the BS in between. Terry talked about it on another show where he wasn't sure if he could handle this thing another year because I don't think our listeners would want to hear us complain and complain about the same crap week in and week out. Facts are facts. This is a result business. If you are not bringing in the results, you have got to go. This is the Boston Red Sox. This is not some, you know, has-been team in some crap city that no one cares about. It's the Boston bleeping Red Sox. We are not a last-place team, and that's what we have been for the last four, five years. It's embarrassing. And the next GM is definitely going to open up the pocketbook. They're definitely going to bring in a minimum of two or three guys. One of them is going to be a premier pitcher. One of them is probably going to be a premier hitter. Terry, I know you said you were out on Shohei Otani. If the price is right, I think most of fans would would disagree with you. The arm concern is is the only thing that's the only hang up I have because he's literally your your designated hitter where we already have two or three options right now. So where would he go? Yes, he's got the connection to the like CEO or president, whatever of New Balance, and there's that that link. I don't think that's enough to get him to Boston. Ultimately, I do think he's going to end up in L.A., just not the Angels. I think he's going to end up going to the Dodgers somehow with Mookie Betts, with Freeman, and just have like an absolute juggernaut of a team out in L.A. Um, that being said, there are other names out there on the market that the Red Sox may try and get. We're done with this shelling out $10 million for Corey Kluber, $10 million for, for Paxton, that, that ship has sailed. It did not work out. It did not bring us any closer to getting a chip, anything. We're 74 and 76, 250 games. We have 12 games to go. We're playing less than 500 baseball. I understand it's just recently back to under 500. This is a joke of a team. We now have the kids playing. There's a very good chance we finish 76 and, you know, 86, whatever, whatever the 76, 84, whatever it is. I don't even know. Um, we're, we're just that bad. We're, we, we are that bad of a team. And Terry talked about it. The, the area that we struggled to really talk about and capitalize and really focus, hone in on was pitching. We didn't do it. We literally sucked at pitching this year. People didn't come back on time. People got injured. People were gone for a month. And all it took was one domino to follow. You had people get injured, people not show up, people forget how to pitch. And it was the perfect storm of just your position of depth was such was such a fallacy. I mean, mind-blowing. Teams teams look at us on the schedule and nobody was concerned. It was like, sweet. Boston Red Sox are here. Really good chance we can take three out of four, two out of three, no problem, and still be fully rested. So, Verdugo, if he ends up leaving, I appreciate you, Alex, for being here in Boston. If you don't want to be here, 
I completely understand. I'm sorry that we created a crap culture three, four years with a crap head of baseball operations who just didn't get it done. I'm sorry. Yeah, T. Just to clarify my Otani comments, I don't want to spend $500 million, which is what the market was expressed to be, for a guy who might be able to pitch later on. I, I just can't do it. Even four hundred, dollars I'm out at $400 million. He only got two and a half seasons out of his arm because he had Tommy John in 2019, missed all of 2020 as far as pitching went. 2021, Otani pitches 130 innings uh last year pitches 166 essentially a full season now uh you know based on where the bar has been set and and then this year 132 innings and he blows it out again so i just the angels couldn't do anything with otani they never sniffed the playoffs and so why why spend all that money and and possibly have a similar result with a player who's who's damaged goods? Would I pay two fifty two seventy five for him for just his bat? I might consider that. But the other problem is is we've got three potential DHs on the team right now: Yoshida, uh, Devers, and, and Casas. So, still not a great fit. Cody had more to say, though, so, so let's get him back in. Yeah, the I think we've kind of talked about this a little bit on the pod already. Um, I can't sit here and tell you that the starting rotation was good. What I can sit here and tell you is I don't know who you were supposed to get in free agency for that starting rotation. I think Gosman is legitimately the only pitcher you can look at that was signed in a free agent that performed either add value or overvalue for what they signed for. If Verlander was on our team when he signed with the Mets, we would have been ripping that guy to shreds. If we signed Scherzer to the deal that we signed, excuse me, that he signed for for the Mets, we would have ripped him to shreds. Same for Robbie Ray, same for all of these other um, major, major pieces that had proven to do it at different locations. Verlander got it going a little bit, um, and then he got traded, right? Scherzer already out for the season. DeGrom out for the season. The big money that has gone to starting pitchers in in the offseason just hasn't worked out in the last three, four, five years, right? A lot of these championship contender teams are are built so on the back of young, you know, a young core, young talent, and and developing it. Which again, Terry, you mentioned it, best pitcher prospect, you know, depending upon your opinion on Shane Doran. Um, High A, double A, maybe, right? It's not like the the cavalry is coming in our in our prospects for starting pitching. I'm I'm not going to sit there and tell you that it is otherwise. Um, you're absolutely right. Bloom flat out didn't get it done. I I'm more so just of the opinion that if we sat through what we sat through for that many years, see the process through, right? Like get us to because this was a you know I know that we we had the financial flexibility and you know, we had the opportunity to kind of you know, do some movement, make some move, make some shakes, no, no financial constraints last year, but the class wasn't that great. You know, I, I don't know if it's that great this year, but there's a little bit more pitching in this off season. And I really would have liked to seen it through one more off season to make the pain worth it. Right. Um, Cause it was painful. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was, you know, five stars bloom did a great job. He had no faults. That's not my opinion. Uh, you know, I can absolutely understand. Um, lamenting the job that he did, wanting to see him get out of town, not going to push back on that. It was just more so of a, we've already endured, let's at least try to get the reward for it if we were going to be punished, right? And and to kind of give up at this point is is just really frustrating. Real quick, I mean, this would have been my exact plan. Gosman, 100%, a couple off seasons ago. Last season, I would have been fine with either Senga or Bassett. Um, and then I would have made a trade in there. I mean, we've got some prospects that are blocked. I would have, and I think that would have, I, if those moves got made, it doesn't matter if they would have worked out or not. I would have, I would have said, well, that, that's why I don't kill store, uh, bloom for signing story. I'll, I'll make him my dud cause his performance has been bad, but you don't, you don't see me ripping the Red Sox for that signing. So as long as like, as long as they brought guys in that were viable and didn't have a, a million red flags like Garrett Richards did from a performance and durability standpoint, and Kluber threw 
36 fastballs in 2022. I, I mean, I destroyed that from the, the second it was announced. I mean, I just needed to see him make some moves. Here, here's another thing. And before I read it real quick, um, there's a YouTube channel, which is phenomenal. It's called iTalk Studios. And he does a lot of baseball content. And um, he said last year that he had sources that that told him that Bloom is very kind of insecure and he second guesses himself and, um, and you know, so we couldn't really back that up, but then, um, Chris Cotillo had a piece on bloom this week and here, this is the snippet. I'm going to read it real quick. It's not very long. Says multiple sources with knowledge of Bloom's thinking have noted that he had privately obsessed over his two free agent expenditures, Story and Yoshida, in each of the last two seasons, constantly wondering if he made the right moves. It's clear those expenditures of 140 million and 90 million, respectively, made Bloom uncomfortable. So and then another another term that's been used to describe Bloom, this is just what how the beat writers do it. The last two trade deadlines, I think we can all agree they were mishandled. Um, they they called it analysis paralysis and, and that's why it didn't it didn't get done. So um, you know, is what it is. You know, my first tweet after Bloom got hired was that I, I love the signing. So I said the same thing with John Farrell, and he's my least favorite manager of all time. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want it to, to come across like I'm I'm super bummed and gutted and a big Bloom guy, right? Like I I saw the merit to his process analytically, obviously, but like it, it's more of of a ownership group punting before the process is theoretically not necessarily complete right because complete would obviously only be determined by winning a championship and that's what you do in boston you win championships you try to stay competitive year in and year out and and you always need to be in the mix and we were not so by by the black and white standards of a chief baseball officer bloom was insufficient i i, I like i'm not a i'm not like a bloom defender i'm not a bloom diehard i'm also not anti-bloom i'm just kind of in the middle of like i just want to have a good team i want to be able to enjoy watching the product and my disappointment is just, you know, that we we cut bait and now it made what we went through essentially irrelevant. So then what was the purpose all of all of that, right? Because now, now, now what? We essentially have to restart with a, a new chief baseball officer whenever that ends up being. And because this, this team isn't competitive and I don't know if we're exactly one offseason or one trade away from becoming a potential title contender. Charlie, you got something you want to add? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that it's it's all for naught. Like, here's the thing. He got brought in to get prospects, get us under that threshold. He did most of his job. He did do a lot of what he was asked to do. The one part that didn't happen, which made people impatient, which made people not forgive him, is the fact that he made this team more uncompetitive by wasting money in places that made no sense. You're spending $10 million on a guy that comes with cobwebs. Corey Kluber is done. You, you spent money on a player who didn't pitch for an entire year to have him pitch this year and then get shelved. And granted, I'm happy he came for a little bit for the time that he was here, but I'm not going to sit here and say that that almost $30 million worth of spend made us a competitive team. We never had starting pitching as a position of depth. Nick Pavetta is good one appearance, bad another to the bullpen, strikes out 10 guys after an appearance in the bullpen, then falls apart, then does great again. It's, it's literally like a Picasso painting. You don't know what you're looking at with Pavetta. And then there were these other rumors, and granted, I'm happy that Chris Sale stayed, but I'm a huge Chris Sale supporter that a team came and asked for Chris Sale's services after his accident and would have sucked up his entire contract, and he said no. So as Charlie, I'm happy about that because I'm selfish. 
but I'm emotionally thinking about that. If I remove the emotion, you're an idiot to not accept that offer for whatever reason. Because if the goal is to spend and get a plethora of of players that are going to make this team better, having that 30 million or 25, I think it's 50, 55 million over the next couple of years allocated to one player who can't stay healthy and give us a consistent four to six innings every fifth game. What are we doing? That's 25 million that could go to one or two other players. I mean, you look at what Waka got this year and you look at what Evaldi got this year and both did much better with, with what they had than what the Red Sox ended up getting with, with Kluber and Paxton. So I, I don't think that Kyan Bloom coming to Boston accomplished nothing. I think he accomplished a lot of what he was expected to do, but he didn't bring the results. People are impatient when you've won three titles in less than 20 years. They want to see it again. They want to get a taste of it. The problem was we didn't even come close. And that the the fake year, that that one year that we actually did do something was a fluke. It really was just everything went right because you saw what happened when things didn't necessarily go right or wrong and we went nowhere. We were basement dwellers, bottom dwellers, and our team was garbage. We were adding pieces and trading off pieces and it made no sense. Literally, some of the, the players that we got made no sense. We didn't become a better team. And that's the thing is the Boston Red Sox, the fan base is upset. The players are upset. I, I really didn't know how 2024 was going to be a better year if Bloom was here. Yeah, okay, cool. Unless he guarantees us 100 wins and he's going to actually completely change his mindset of doing what he came here to do by not focusing on prospects and not shelling out major deals, which we know he's not that guy. No one was going to be satisfied with Bloom unless he brought a World Series in 2024. And I don't think any baseball operations head can guarantee that the Boston Red Sox are even a playoff contending team right now for 2024. And anybody who says that we are is straight up lying. That, that's all I'm going to say. I mean, that's totally fair. But if you look at the, the directives and the objectives that, that Bloom was given by ownership, right, to, to shed payroll – to get prospects and to get under luxury tax, none of that things become competitive. And then for them to sit there on, on their throne and say, Oh, we're here to win championships. We're committed to winning. That doesn't, those two things don't connect, right? You're talking out of both sides of your mouth and you're making this individual a sacrificial lamb, which is what it is. But I mean, you know, we, we can go down this path all forever. Terry, sorry. Yeah, no, I think 2020 was the only year it was a mandate. You know, and then you, you, you don't bring back Mookie, which, again, I was fine with. And then you, you get rid of half of Price's remaining salary. And I I don't think <clears throat> he really had a mandate after 2020. I think looking back, I think Bloom's biggest regret would have been not selling at last year's deadline in 2022 and getting under that luxury tax because he, he wasn't getting fired last year. I don't believe there was any scenario, and I didn't even want him to. I, I wasn't even rooting for it. I, I, I mean, he signed Trevor's story, and I just thought that was a big piece of what we're about to do, and I just figured the pitching was going to come in next season and the and perhaps some trades and it, and it never happened. Um, and then just one last thing. Oh, well, actually two real quick. So apparently the Texas Rangers, according to Tony Maserati on the sports hub, were the team that was willing to give that up for sale. And it makes sense because with that DeGrom signing, five years, $185 million, you're throwing caution to the wind. When you bring in Nathan Avaldi, extensive injury history, mid-30s, you're throwing caution to the wind. So that seems like a team that would go out and try to get Chris Sale. Now, Rob Bradford was the one who spoke about that uh, publicly, and I sent a DM to Bradford. I said, so was it the Texas Rangers that, that wanted him? And all he responded was, who said that? And I said, Maz. And then he never responded. So he didn't deny it. He didn't confirm or deny it. I think if it was a no, I, I think he would have. He would have told me. 
Because, I mean, we we have a pretty far reach on, you know, Twitter or X. And then finally, my last thing, and I promise, if you guys want to weigh in again, that's fine. I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll be done with it. But um, I don't think the next GM is coming in to do what, what Dave Dombrowski did. I, I don't think that's going to be the mindset. I, I don't think there's going to be top prospects getting traded perhaps we might spend more money than we want. And quite frankly, I mean, I hope they do uh, spend money, but I don't want to perpetually be above the luxury tax. You know, I, I, I would hope to be sustainable in the future and, you know, be like the Astros and the Braves and, you know, so on and so forth. But I, I wouldn't expect uh, just a, a total 180 here. Time will tell. Absolutely. So uh, for for my dead here, um, really short and sweet, Yoshida, one for nine here, four strikeouts, had a lone single. I think we're just seeing another player just burned out and kind of, you know, kind of going with the, the rest of the team. You know, the, the chemistry is starting to kind of showcase itself. And outside of a couple of games where he had – uh, it was one home run against uh, Tampa Bay, and I think it was Kansas City was the other one. He's been irrelevant this this whole month. You know, um, we're we're not scoring runs, we're not knocking in runs, we're not really getting any extra base hits, and you're not hitting. You're not hitting your. You know, <laughs> probably close to your weight. So you know, it's just another player that's just done with 2023. And I think he's flushed down rookie of the year. I don't think there's a question that he's in the top two anymore. I think he he's blown that. I think he might be third, maybe fourth, but he's he's not a sure bet to be it anymore. So you're sheeted for me. Yeah, they've long, or I mean, not long, they've lamented, uh, wanted to see him be a little bit more durable, a little bit more ready for the long haul of, of the season, right? Uh, you know, obviously he posted and signed in the offseason, and I don't really know how you can be prepared to do that. Uh, kind of seems like a thing to drop on a guy last minute to say, oh, by the way, you know, we, we expect you to be ready to play 162 when, you know, your previous however many seasons have been nowhere near that, um, you know, one full season in the majors, you know, I guess it's a blessing in disguise that it was this season. Uh, Cause you know, if we were making a stretch run, if we're making a deep postseason run and you know, you have this version of Masa uh, that's, that's really difficult. Right. But those bad games, those tired legs, those, you know, not full swings are a little bit hidden by the fact that nobody's watching right now. Or, you know, when we're watching, we're doing something else on our phone or, you know, the game's on the phone, we've got something else on the TV. Um, but, yeah, you know, it is. it has been really disappointing, right? Because this guy was everything we could have hoped for him to be first 75% of the season, right? You know, power to all fields, um, you know, gap doubles, a lot of contact, you know, was kind of figuring it out on the fly, but seemingly always had that bounce back, right? You know, he would have a slump, then he would get really hot. Then he would have another little slump as I, you know, figured out more, more holes in the swing. And then he'd be like, all right, cool. Like you figured that out. I'm going to figure this out. And, you know, to, to kind of see him have the resiliency was something to build upon for next year. Hopefully he can learn from, from the season and this process and figure out, you know, what it's going to take to, to be relevant for a full 162. You know, he did play a lot of baseball, right? A full, full Japanese season, world baseball classic. And then and the major league season, that's, that's a lot to put on a body just to stay mentally and physically ready. Uh, but, you know, no, no disguising it, no sugarcoating it. Uh, one hit in your last 15 at bats is, is not going to get it done. Um, let's see what he's got next year. Quickly on the fly here, I'm just trying to figure out what his strikeout rate has been since the all-star break. Uh, not that bad. It feels like he's striking out a ton, but, um, but since the all-star break, He's hitting, actually the updated numbers are right in front of me. He's hitting 240 with a 268 on base. And again, this is Yoshida. That's like, I gave a comp on Twitter. It might not be a close comp, but, you know, if you're talking recent Red Sox history and you're comparing him to other Red Sox players, it's very Jackie Bradley-esque. 
I mean, those are very pedestrian numbers that you're getting. And you're not getting the defense out of him. By the metrics, he is one of the worst defensive uh, left fielders in baseball. Not that I expected him to be super great out there. But let me let me throw this out. And I kind of did it, I think, on uh, the last episode. But if if there are phone calls this winter on Yoshida... Do you entertain it? Do you try to free that money off your payroll knowing that you're probably going to gonna spend? I mean, you can offset that $18 million for probably a pitcher of about that value. And then you you sign one more maybe, but you got a lefty problem. So I, I that's why I'm considering it. Uh, you can consider it, but I don't think another team's going to bite on that. And honestly, the comp that I had for – if we're going to talk about Boston Red Sox, we're going to turn the clock back a little bit. You'll have to go back to Masa – the Masa that we had back in 2000. That was Troy O'Leary. So that might have been before anybody's – I've watched Boston Red Sox time, if you don't know who he was, was a – Good outfielder for the Boston Red Sox in the late 90s, kind of aging myself here. But in 2000 specifically, at age 30, this is a guy who had 13 homers, 70 RBIs, hit 261. This is pretty much the same thing. Masa's hitting a little bit better for average, but didn't have as much. Um, just his issue was just not, I don't know, he didn't have the the it factor for the last month. And Troy was just kind of, for the most part, just across the board the same way. And he really had one insane playoff run in, in 99 where he just went off against the Indians at the time. That's what they were called. So I can say that. Um, but, but that's kind of what it is. I don't think there's going to be any team knocking on the door to get Masa because I think to some degree, we may have seen this guy get figured out. And on top of the fact that the, I'm fatigued and I'm tired, isn't really playing well with the fact that he's 30 years old. He's had one year of Major League Baseball experience, and I am you know, not going to downplay that. I don't think we're going to see Masataka Yoshida take a major step up in his game. You might see someone hit maybe 18 to 20 home runs, maybe 80 RBIs, but it's like then you, you've upgraded him from Troy O'Leary to like J.D. Drew before he joined the Red Sox. You know, like that's, that's pretty much it. I'm curious to see how he does, but I mean, I'm not going to be blown away if he doesn't absolutely, you know, kind of stay like Alex Verdugo. Like we know what Verdugo is. Masa's war is one, you know, like he's not crazy good above average. Yes. He can steal some bases. He doesn't walk that much. The strikeout numbers are relatively low. He can get extra base hits and whatnot. But he's a he's a good outfielder. That's it. Like he's a good outfielder. Um, so real quick here, um, five hundred at bats. All right. So that that's what Yoshida has had outside of today. I think because I'm on Baseball Reference and it takes a day to update. So it might be uh, a few more than five hundred at bats. But Shohei Otani had five hundred thirty-seven at bats in his first full major league season. And that was coming off of a, a pandemic that was shortened to 60 games. I'll, I'll live with the, you know, the, I, I don't know if it's fair to call it excuses, but you know, it's an adjustment that he's had to make, but I'll, I'll live with it for the rest of this season. Next year, I will tolerate none of that. Like he's, he's got to be in the lineup and he's got to produce to the level of his contract. Um, I, I don't, I hope he's not as streaky as he is this year. I mean, he's, he's been, he's been a dud. I mean, the whole second half, that's not a slump. You're just, you're just grossly underperforming a slump lasts, you know, maybe a couple weeks, three at the most, we're talking a half a season here. So We'll see. And I raised the question of a trade. I don't think it's necessarily likely, but um, I, you know, if there's offers out there and you could get something decent in return, uh, perhaps a decent starting pitcher, um, and and then you're freeing up 18 million a year, you know, 
I would do it. I, I would absolutely do it and, and live with it. I don't know what a 34-year-old Masataki Yoshida is going to look like, you know, on the final year or two of that deal. But, um, but I mean, Shohei, Shohei pitched and took at-bats and no, no mention of fatigue. So that's, that's all I'm saying. Cody. I mean, Shohei's an, an alien uh, to make that kind of the the comparison of, of player performance is, I think, a little bit unfair. Um, I think, you know, we see the fatigue and, and whatnot happen to a lot of guys, right? Um, but, yeah, you know, what we're looking for out of, out of Masa isn't, or Masataki Yoshida, excuse me, isn't eye-popping numbers, right? He's not going to be your 330, 30 bombs, 130 RBI guy. You know, he's going to be anywhere from 280 to 300, maybe 320, uh, 15 home runs, 80 RBIs, 80 runs, and we'd be thrilled. You know, that's kind of the expectation that we had. And, you know, I think he's he's all but met those expectations. Would have liked to see a few more RBIs? Sure. I think he's at 65 right now. Um but he's supposed to be the guy that sets the table, uh, you know, drives in a, a couple of guys if there's people on in front of him with with a gap double. But, you know, he's he's not going to be, you know, kind of the main producer in your lineup per se. He's going to be one of the main producers, but he's not going to be your Devers or your Ortizes or your Ramirez's or your Rodriguez or Griffey, you know, whatever those type guys. He's never going to be that. He was never supposed to be that. And I think that's unfair of us to have that expectation. Uh, but you know, his second half performance definitely doesn't live up to what the, the expectation was for him, which is to be, you know, maybe that JD drew before he got to Boston, right. Where, you know, he's always in the mix. He's one of the players that you have to, to game plan for, but he's not necessarily going, he's not the, don't let this guy beat you kind of guy. Um, and so, you know, hopefully, hopefully next season, he can kind of get a better game plan, figure it out and, and have prolonged success throughout the second half of the season. And for him to have to figure it out, I'm glad it's this year that he's doing it. Agreed, because I think it would have been a nightmare if it was, you know, year two, perhaps three of the of the contract. Uh, a couple other honorable mentions. I hate putting this man on the list, but uh, Jay Turner, our professional hitter, struggled a little bit. Three for 50 in the series with uh, four strikeouts and Luis Urias 0 for 6. Pair of strikeouts as well. For the first time in what feels like forever, our starting pitching and our bullpen were not problems. It was a really nice change of pace, you know, a little blip here or there, but it was for the most part a a pretty good performance from our bullpen. Yes, some of the games were lost in the, you know, l- later moments of the game, but it wasn't an absolute shellacking of six or seven runs in a third or, or two thirds of an inning. And for that, I can't really put any of them in, in the dud category, unless there's anyone specifically that either one of you two wanted to add. Right on. Uh, cool. So let's move right into our studs. Uh, Terry, I actually think you're, you're, you're quite fast. So, you know, forgive me for putting the fast guy in the, in the one slot. So who was your stud for this series? Won't spend a ton of time on it, but I was really impressed with uh, Brian Bayo, despite it, the fact that it was a losing effort. Um, he did give up three runs on a ball that was kind of not quite middle, middle, maybe middle, slightly in uh, to Vladimir Guerrero of all people. It was a three-run shot. That was the only at bat that led to runs being scored. But what I like the most about it is. My complaint all year, well, not all year, but for much of the second half with Bayo is is the strikeouts, only striking out two, three, four guys, struck out 10 Toronto Blue Jays. So I hope uh, with a new pitching coach, and I'm 1,000% certain we will have a new pitching coach next year, uh, and and hopefully a, a, a better group of analytics nerds, I think we'll start to see... Pedro-esque performances out of him fairly regularly. I will take that. Cody. Yeah, I mean, he took a lot of steps this year, right? He was our stopper. He was our, okay, you know, our starting rotation has been um, insufficient all year, but we got Bayo. You know, he is uh, one of the big pieces moving forward. He's got to figure it out. He's got to be that guy, right? And he showed that he is Every bit of that, you know, big games, pitching against the Yankees, pitching on the road, pitching at home, pitching in Boston, 
Uh, but the one thing that he was really struggling with this year was was the long ball, and and Terry kind of alluded to it, right? Ten strikeouts, great. We'd wanted to see more strikeouts, uh, and did it against a, a competitive team too, right? You know, he's not punching out a lifeless team that's also mailed it in, and all of the damage came on on one swing of the bat. And so, you know, for that next echelon, that next level for him, it's just going to be limiting the long ball, right? Um, you know, you look at uh, guys like Garrett Cole, right? Now, obviously, Garrett Cole is elite of elite. Uh, and, you know, to borrow a card from Terry's book of, of comparing one player to then the gold standard, Garrett Cole is, is by all accounts, the best that is going in the game from, from the pitcher's bump. And he struggles with the long ball, right? All of his runs seem to come from, from home runs. And if he would eliminate a home run here or there, man, he'd be even scarier than he already is. And, you know, to a lesser extent, I think that's kind of where Bayo is, right? Bayo is, you know, very solid to above average with potential to be elite. And right now his current um, Achilles heel is is that long ball. And if he can eliminate that or just keep the ball in the yard or on the ground a little bit more, then, you know, we're really going to be cooking with gas. Charlie, over to you. So I've been in on Bayo since the beginning, and it hurts me to even consider him like a dud at any point during the season. But this is a guy who is just absolutely on it. Uh, Ten strikeouts in six innings. That is a Pedro-esque performance, which is what you want to see from your hopefully future ace. This was what we wanted. We kind of felt, okay, maybe we weren't getting the best out of him because Dave Bush was not harnessing whatever energy he needed to harness to get him to get to the next level. Well, we just saw what the next level looks like. Six innings, 10 strikeouts, incredible performance, only one walk. He's allowed three runs in three straight appearances, at least earned four if you want to count the last one against Houston. But, um, you know, this is a performance where it hurts to take the L. You know, this is someone who has won four of his last five performances, and we've given him a lot of run support, and this one he just got none. And it's really unfortunate to take an L like this, but, I mean, what a performance. Incredible, and really looking forward to the future with this young kid. Cody, who'd you have for your stud? So it's uh, ironic, right? We just kind of lamented starting pitching being the the Achilles heel of this team, of this organization, and, and the first two studs of this segment are going to both be starting pitchers. Uh, for me, it's Nick Pavetta. You know, we did talk a little bit about, you know, one, one start he's great, no hitter, next start he gets blown up, goes to the bullpen, pounds the whole nine. But he's having, and good or bad, if you look at it statistically, he's having a career year. Um, you know, lowest ERA, uh, on pace for the most strikeouts, lowest whip, um, great great across the board. And I think he's the embodiment of, of what you want in a Red Sox player, a Red Sox uh, organization type guy, right? Uh, sure, he did have that bad interview. Sure, he did pout. But I don't know how many of us would have handled it greatly if we got demoted and then somebody stuck a microphone right in our face immediately and was like, hey, bud, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, he's just a competitor. He he goes out there and he fights and he battles and he's doing so in a season in which everybody around him has very clearly given up. And so, you know, he goes, what, um, what was it? Six and a third with two earned and six punch outs. I mean, it's just another, another solid outing, right? Um, I'd be open to bringing him back at the four or five rotation or the long relief bullpen guy or the Swiss army knife of, of, the pitching staff because he's proven to take pretty much any role that we've thrown at him this year and, and pretty much thrive in it. Right. Um, especially since he's gotten moved to the bullpen in quotations at this point. Um, and so, you know, I just wanted to continue to give this guy some flowers, um, another great effort. It wasn't his fault that we lost, uh, today's game. The starting pitching has been abysmal all year, but I think they gave up what, um, 10 runs all series. I mean, this, this series loss sweep, excuse me, falls on the bats and, and we had an extra inning game too. <laughs> and so, you know, Pavetta uh, is the stud for me. What's crazy about um, Pavetta is how much better he did when he was put under the pressure, put under the microscope of, no longer being just the starter. The guy's pitched 50 less innings this year and has almost the same number of strikeouts, which is remarkable. The guy had an, uh, an 8.8 K9 last year. This year, it's almost 12, which is insane to increase 50% of your strikeout K9 rating. Your ERA, for the most part, is still the same. You're still in and around 9 to 10 wins. One more win would get you to 10. 
and match your career high, which was done last year. So I'm still curious to see what will happen with Nick Pavetta. I'm totally cool using him in that Tim Wakefield spot. Maybe a start, maybe you're a reliever, but I'm not going to commit to you one way or the other. So I'm with you, Cody. I'm cool one way or the other. Uh, Terry, anything you want to add on Pavetta? Tim Wakefield is actually a good comp. Uh, you know, I mean, same type of ups and downs. He's actually pitched to a 4.07 ERA since the All-Star break. I, I thought that number would be a little bit lower. Um, he's appeared in 14 games since then, started six of them. I Honestly, I would love to move on from the Nick Pavetta era, but you just don't have the luxury. You're going to need the depth. <laughs> so I think next year is his final year of arbitration. If I'm not mistaken, he'll probably project out at around 10 million for the year, roughly, which, you know, is for a five starter. I think that's a lot of money, but, um, but it is what it is. It's the situation we're in and, Maybe he could benefit from a new pitching coach too. So we'll see. He's added kind of a, a slider he's that he's thrown with more frequency. And I, I was listening to Kevin Euclid today break down his curveball. It used to go from 12 to 6. Now it's like it, it kind of slopes down, you know, diagonally. And, you know, I don't know what you would call that, a 2 to 8 <laughs> uh, curveball. But... But yeah, so if the slider becomes a bigger weapon, you know, maybe maybe he'll truly have a career year next year with a three something earned run average. Absolutely. Um, my sub for this series, and I'm really going to relish this one. I'm going to enjoy it. And Nick Face, I hope you're listening. I'm coming for you because you said he was done. And you owe me an apology, and you owe Chris Sale an apology, and I've been in in his corner all season long, and Chris Sale spins an ace performance, allowing one run on two hits, striking out 10 in six innings. And no, it is not a consistent six innings with 10 strikeouts, but you telling everybody that you thought that Chris Sale of old was completely gone was wrong. You owe us an apology for that. Chris Sale, my stud, almost 70% of his pitches going for strikes. Again, only one of those two hits was a blip, a solo home run. Otherwise, it was a masterful performance, one of the better ones he's had this year, arguably his best start this season, um, and one of the only times this year where he's hit triple, uh, excuse me, double digits in strikeouts. He's done it uh, only twice before this, uh, this appearance, and um, unfortunately – did not get the win, did not get the result, and uh, it's pretty unfortunate because he pitched his absolute heart out and did not get the dub. Cody, anything you want to add? I saw a statistic online that said if you take out you know, all of his games against Baltimore, um, which you know we can always play what if or, or hypotheticals, but he's, his ERA's in the three, his whip's a lot better. Um, I don't particularly remember him getting shellacked against the O's, but um, you know it's always great to see uh sale turn back the clock right because we know what that upper end looks like you know when he first came over here it was set it and forget it sales day we can we can put pencil them in for seven innings one earned at most and and 10 to 12 strikeouts and it's always nice to see the vintage performances and it, it was just a sight for sore eyes terry as far as sale goes to to steal a line from Charlie, uh, it was adorable, and uh, <laughs> not. I'm I'm being a little bit sarcastic, though. I mean, he's not the velo isn't there, and that's concerning to me. I I just don't think he can live on that. I think he happened to catch a a Blue Jays lineup who just had no answer for a slider. Uh, it, it was a very slider heavy day, but I'm a pessimist long term, and I, I would rather see him in the bullpen. I really would for for one inning. I don't even want to see him be a bolt guy because if he's a bolt guy, he's gonna break a weird bone that you've never heard of, and and then he's gonna be out for two months. 
Um, so I, that's what I would like to see. I, I, I said on the last show, I don't want to listen to the new executive say, I think Chris Sale will be a big part of our rotation next year. Because if that, if that gets said, we're probably going to be a little bit undergunned. Let me also say this too. It's a lot easier to acquire bats at the deadline, especially if they're just mid-market bats, than it is to acquire a, a number three starting pitcher. I'd rather spend the money on the pitching and maybe be a little light on the offense and, and address that later on. I, I just feel like you, you can accomplish that a lot easier. So I'm just throwing it out there, but um, he did look good. And uh, he could very well get turned upside down and swirled in his next start. I don't think that's going to happen. But again, <laughs> I'm a huge sales supporter and everybody knows that. So I'm just not going to go down that route. Anything else you guys want to add on sale? Right on. Uh, so a couple other um, highlight performances. You saw Rafi Devers do his absolute best to make sure the Red Sox were going to try to bring it to extras and and be relevant. Had a couple homers in this series. Drew four walks, which was really impressive, and only one strikeout in those 10 at-bats. And then uh, our friend Mr. Murphy in the bullpen with two and two-thirds innings and two different appearances in this series struck out four, uh, no runs allowed, and did really, really well. So I'm super happy that we were able to even get that out of him because we've struggled quite a bit with our bullpen, and that's something that we were talking about recently our bullpen has really gotten hammered, and Chris Murphy actually did really, really well in this series. I mean, you're talking about his last three, four appearances. He was getting absolutely destroyed. In the month of August, had an ERA over 10. He sucked. He was awful. And in two starts so far in September, he didn't pitch for two weeks and has taken the time to kind of just get refocused, reacclimated to being in his spot, and he's, he's doing, you know, call it a fluke, but two appearances, two and two-thirds, perfect. So uh, anything else that either one of you guys want to add? Perfect. Right on. Well, that's going to do it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners and our first-time listeners as well. Everyone have a great night. Take care.